and I know you've been listening to the interviews that he's yeah. doing since this album came out. So rich, so deep. I mean, deeper than he usually is. I mean, he has been saying some things and and very spiritual, very um, just rich that that have multiple follow-up questions. Like one time recently, I don't even remember now, but he talked about how like the artist or he was even talking about himself, like puts their antenna up into the atmosphere and awaits the broadcast, the divine broadcast. And then it's the job of the artist to like bring it back to the people. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I got to sit down and talk to this guy right now. and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me tonight is a new friend. We've already been talking 15 minutes before I even hit record. Uh, Camille Conte, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jesse. Great to be with you tonight. Yes, I am just so excited. Uh, shout out to our mutual friend, Donna, yes. who, did, who was matchmaker. Um, as she often does in her role as, uh, you know, the Bruce Funds founder. Um, And I I just appreciate it so much. And so I'm thrilled you're here. Um, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And Donna is really a remarkable angel. She's, she has been in service to so many of us, including myself. And she is just an amazing, amazing spirit. So thank you, Donna, for all you do and for connecting me with you. She actually was one of my first guests five years ago. And uh, she was the first true fan I met in person. Mm. I've told the story multiple times. We were in Nashville. Uh, We had exchanged, you know, Twitter through different messages. And she goes, we're all meeting for restaurant. We're at a restaurant here the night before show. So I told my wife, yeah, I'm going to meet a bunch of fans. She was like, you're meeting people you've never met over the internet? I go, yeah, but they're all Bruce fans. Aren't you worried? I'm like, they're all female. They should be worried about this guy coming to see them, right? And so, um, you know, we just had that whole bond. Mm-hmm. And, and she's just a lovely person. Yeah, she really is. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, so tell us a little about yourself. Mm. Well, I too am a broadcaster. It's, it's, I've been doing this. I, I'm just actually celebrating 40 years behind the mic. So it was something I knew I wanted to do from a very early age. Grew up in New Jersey and heard all those great radio stations and fell asleep with my little transistor radio under my pillow at night. And I just knew there was some sort of magic happening and I wanted to be the magician. Uh, and um, so I went to Anchorage, Alaska, actually, because I was born to run. And at some point, I wanted to, you know, get out of Jersey and see what was going on. And I met somebody at one of the WNEWFM outdoor summer concerts down in Asbury. And so I moved to Alaska and started my career in radio there, which was just an amazing, 
awesome, wonderful experience. I think I was one of the last quote unquote classes that came through traditional radio. Okay. What a blast. What an, what an amazing time. So fast forward to now, I've got the Camille Conti show. Uh, I know it's a podcast, but I'm kind of old school. So I mm-hmm. still call it a, a radio show. Just celebrating um, my ninth year started it. You know, it's pretty wild. I was doing uh, live streaming back in January of 2013 because I just didn't know any better. I wasn't tuned into podcasting. And um, but we're going strong and I've got listeners all over the world uh, closing in on 35,000 downloads. And what I do is I mix real conversations about life with some great rock and roll. That is awesome. You know, we've grown up with some of the best music, but I also do something called the new music spotlight because even Bruce at one point was somebody that was new and needed some airtime. And so I love discovering new music. So that's that's one of the slivers of my of my creative life. That's awesome. You know, that's one of the things I do here is if a new musician reaches out to me and, you know, and says, Hey, I have a new single coming out would, and, and I, um, I asked them to join me and I've had two or three, three or four musicians join me that like Alice Ashcroft is from the UK and she just had a single dungarees and, um, we, we kind of connected. And then later I just spent over an hour talking to her about Dr. Who, um, you know, and so um, I've had different musicians doing the same thing because mm-hmm. um, they make good interviews. You yeah. know, they're, they're, I love hearing the creative process. Yes. I love talking to writers. Yes. I decided that um, what I, re- it is, it is, I think sooner or later this will morph from being a Bruce Springsteen fan podcast to just me trying to be Larry King, rest his soul. I'm just, I want to interview everyone in the world. Exactly. And I, I'm an interviewer too. And you know, I'm, you and I are simpatico. There is nothing quite like the conversation. In fact, I am knowing that I'm going to interview Bruce Springsteen. In, in fact, I've sent him a few letters now in, you know, letter to you kind of a, of a way yeah. because of a few things. Number one, he doesn't have many female interviewers at all. Right. I, very, very rare. Um, don't know if that's intentional or, or what, but, you know, what I wrote in this last letter to him was women have a different filter. We have a different filter. And so we experience art and music and your music, you know, a certain amount of crossover as a guy does, but then there's that other part where it brings up different questions, um, different nuances. So I'm looking forward to having a conversation with him because um, it's just kind of destined, I think. So we'll see. Well, I, my fingers are crossed for you. Thanks. Um, I, I guess, you know, people ask me all the time, well, if you ever interviewed Bruce or interviewed anyone from the band? And I said, no, I've, um, Maureen Van Zant was really sweet to me and was able to talk to me twice, which nice. was a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, uh, Vinny Lopez was on the show and that was mm-hmm. pretty fun. Um, so, uh, good, good for you. That would be a, yeah. a lot of fun. And I, I, I would love that interview. I, well, um, and here's the thing, like, and I know you've been listening to the interviews that he's yeah. doing since this album came out. So rich. Yes. So deep. I mean, deeper than he usually is. I mean, he has been saying some 
things and and very spiritual, very um, just rich that that have multiple follow-up questions. Like one time recently, I don't even remember now, but he talked about how like the artist, or he was even talking about himself, like puts their antenna up into the atmosphere and awaits the broadcast, the divine broadcast. And then it's the job of the artist to like bring it back to the people. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I got to sit down and talk to this guy right now. So, you know, sometimes an artist knows knows what to give you, even though you don't realize you need it. And uh, I know when this pandemic first started, I'm going to ask you how you've been doing on that in a minute. But, you know, I know you saw like Amitha Etheridge and other artists, you know, Jason Isbell, you know, doing shows from their living room. Like, oh, it'd be great to have Bruce do that, Bruce to do that. And instead, we got these great from my home to you sessions where he's talking about life and playing songs and weaving stories and um there uh, ron martz is a writer and he was on the show and he says in fact he said that bruce springsteen and stephen king were his two biggest influences they were the biggest influences on his writing and he said you know we know he's a good storyteller why are we surprised that he can weave a story in this with this method um, and, and I guess the reason of that is I didn't know I wanted Bruce to do a radio show, but now that I have it, I'm so much glad we got that instead of him just doing a couple of shows from the bar. So I, I, I don't know what's going on right now, but I love it. In my notes, I yes. wrote down, talk about the barn. Yeah. Exactly. When the pandemic started, everybody was taking to live Facebook, live Instagram, and we naturally, because we were just caught up in that, I, like you and others, were like, okay, when is he going to do it? The barn's the perfect place. It would just... So you're right. When he sat behind the microphone and played DJ, it was exactly as you're saying. We didn't even know that's what we needed from him, but it was the only place really for him to go. And... It, it, when you listen to the very first one, he matched our own sense of being depressed by the whole thing that was happening. And you see the arch of his shows all, all through the most recent one. The one between him and Patty is just absolutely beautiful and fantastic. And yeah, it's, it, it's, you're right. It's, it's the perfect place for one of his greatest skills, which is to tell a story. And, you know, you mentioned, I was going to talk about this, is, you know, everyone was, the the internet was a buzz that when he was going to do a show starting at midnight, like, oh, he's going to announce a new album or he's going to do, and no, it was just because he was a night owl and he <laughs> loved doing that. So, um, you know, I've got my phone with my Sirius XM app and I'm laying in bed, I turn out the light and I'm listening to the show mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm going back to where I'm 11 or 12, mm -hmm. as you said, with your transistor radio yep. or your AM clock radio and, you know, on your bedside, listening yep. to music as you fall asleep. And it was just so beautiful. And, and I truly believe that it was the same for him. Like, in other words, he grew up like that too. 
yes. listening to the radio. He heard that magic too. And some of the night jocks were some of the best, you know, Allison yeah. Steele, the night bird, Vince Scales on NEW on, on nights. So it, all of these nuances that you're talking about are wrapped up in his storybook too. Yeah. So absolutely, yeah, yeah, spot on. How are you doing during the pandemic? Hmm. Um, well, you know, well, first of all, I'm doing well because I'm healthy and I have all of my uh, basic needs met right now and I'm grateful. Um, my mom, um, who I was caring for here in New Jersey in the house I grew up in, which is where I'm at now, um, she passed away January uh, 28th last year. Mm. Uh, we just had that one year marking. Um, it was sudden and um, it was pretty devastating. I imagine. I, they, they don't quite tell you the emotional violence that one can feel and go through with the loss of, for me, my mother. Um, three weeks later, there's talk about this virus. So, you know, what a, what a gift that I, we got inside the last moments of normal. Yeah. Um, and so, but that event kicked me over, over the edge. And my first time back behind the mic after her service is just this raw experience. I brought my walk with grief to my show and because I had no other choice. Yeah. I, that's, that's where I live there. And um, I listened back to that show with tremendous respect for myself because I was so vulnerable and so raw, but my mom was also, and still is the world's greatest joke teller. Right. And she tells the joke of the week on my show. Oh, how so funny. She's been, yeah. So she's been telling jokes on my show since 2014. And so she's a staple on the show and there was all of that. So like many people, it's, it's been very difficult. Um, it was just very, very humbling experience for sure. So God, this is so eerie, uh, Camille. We're we're taping this on the last day in January, um, and this will come out you know in two three weeks. I I try to book a little bit in advance, but I just had this morning. I had a UK podcaster whose podcast is the Bereavement Room, and it is all about dealing with grief, wow, and the passing. And we talked. Uh, almost an hour about her podcast and what she's doing um, and that sometimes you know she says as society um, you know we don't have people aren't sure what to say businesses like okay you get three days okay I've lost my mother I've lost my father and I've got three business days that you know and and I know some people are very kind in other businesses but it is you know, how do you handle through that grief? It was a great discussion. Yeah. And I, I, I think um, the catharsis of sharing, I can see how that would be very healing for you and healing for your audience because they know her. She was the joke lady, right? She was part of your life. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, this is just so rich because, you know, we don't do death in our country. No. And we don't have the 
psychic infrastructure and have not had it to deal in March or May when it was 85,000 people who had lost their lives to complications of COVID. We don't have the, the mechanisms to process, to wrap our hearts and brains around 400,000 people. So it, the whole, and look, Bruce, like when 9-11 happened and that guy said, we need you and Bruce came out with that album, it was medicine. Yes. And just like we didn't know we needed him behind the mic as a DJ, he delivered with this album because this album is about death. It's about loss. It's about grief. It's about hope. It's about ghosts and angels and Honestly, I know for so many people, myself included, that was a lifeline. That album just saved me this year. I, I wept the entire time. You know, death is not the end. I'll see you in my dreams. I mean, what a gift. So, Camille, I, I started saying this in August or September that um, when first started rumors that we were going to get a new album. And I started saying, if we could get a new Springsteen album in October, a new president in November, then maybe 2020 won't be the worst year ever. And I don't say that to make light of the 400,000 people died. Mm -hmm. Absolutely yeah. not. But just this ray of sunshine. Absolutely. And, um, and you, you, when you think and, and I've told this story a couple of times. I, I got so mad because some jerk was on Facebook saying, eh, Bruce needs to quit putting out albums. He's diluting his legacy. And I would go, F you, buddy. There's nothing this guy can do to destroy his legacy in a studio. Now, I, you know, I'm not going to say if something weird happened about him, which I would be shocked because he's been squeaky clean his whole life, but there's nothing musically he can do to destroy his legacy. I, I don't care if he wants to do a polka album. Hey, Bruce, go do a polka album. We love you. Whatever you want to do creatively, you have that right to do. Yeah, well, and this guy represents the fan, just like, you know, watching uh, the Dylan documentary. Yeah. Um, where people feel like an artist isn't supposed to creatively grow. Yeah. Um, like people actually called Bob Dylan a traitor. They literally said that word because he went from acoustic to electric. Yes. So, you know, people like this guy, they, they, they have distorted ideas about the artist and, and who they're here to, to serve, which of course is, is, you know, is the art. Um, so yeah, the pandemic, that's, um, that's, that's a little bit of how um, I got, and I've been writing, yeah, I, I've been writing and perhaps something will, will come of it um, because my father was a big band drummer. Okay. Uh, the Rock Conti Orchestra. He was a band leader. He was a singer. And um, so I grew up with music in my home. Uh, my mom used to pretend that she was a singer with the wooden stick when she was a girl, the wooden, you know, pasta sauce stick and would introduce herself and sing. And so my parents were, they were artists. They would never think of themselves like that. My father, probably a musician, because it was obvious that he was. Um, but I grew up with music in my home all the time. I mean, my dad's brother was in his band, the Rock Conti Orchestra. And when we had 4th of July barbecues here in Jersey, they set, the, they set their instruments up in the driveway. 
so live music was a normal experience in my in my life. Growing up, going to bars, live music. We didn't have DJs. Yes, it was it was, it was only ever live music, which I'm just so, so grateful for. So I grew up with big band and I grew up with rock and roll, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I feel really grateful to have had such an early influence of music because it was already in my DNA. I, I truly believe musical notes are a part of our DNA. Sure. Coding, you know, um, so Music has been a great, a great balm for many people this, this past year and, and even now. And certainly that album just is a signature piece for 2020. My goodness. I absolutely agree. Um, can, can, you, can you talk about when did you first discover Bruce and mm. what about his music spoke to you? Yeah. Well, I have to give my sister Janice credit for turning me on specifically to Bruce Springsteen. I was um, I was into like Elton John at the time because I was learning how to play the piano. Um, but she turned me on to Born to Run, of course, in 1975. I, I wouldn't know this then, but thinking about it and talking with you now, I think the, I think the sound was too sophisticated for me. Okay. I, 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 I was at the age where pop music was really my, was resonating with me. It was a match for my maturity. So it was really the Darkness album um, where I was saved by rock and roll. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, we look back now fondly, I'm sure you do too. Sure. At the, at the ritual of, of music. Yes. Going to the record store flipping through the bins or, you know, coming home and taking that cellophane off and opening up that album cover and the art and the lyrics. And, but that, but that moment where you put that album on the record player and you drop that needle onto that groove. When I did that to darkness on the edge of town, I, uh, my life seriously was changed and I was never the same again. Thanks. Thank goodness. Um, what happened when I heard that music is I heard myself like pent up. I was pent up at the time. Um, I, so I heard, I heard and felt this, this tension and this angst and this, this frustration. I heard a voice that felt caged. Um, and I also heard the environment of New Jersey in the song. So I heard, I heard the geographical notes of, of where I was living at the time as well. But I also heard hope. I heard someone who was trying to break free. I heard somebody who saw something larger for themselves than what they, what they had grown up around. So yeah, Darkness on the Edge of Town, 1978. Um, that's, that's what drew me all the way in was that emotionality and that of course, that that sound, I had never heard anything like that guitar. I mean, what the hell was that? Sure. <laughs> like, you go back and you listen to Adam Ray's Decane, and, you know, this man is like channeling all that angst with the lawsuits and everything. And um, so, yeah, so that was my first concert, August 21st, 1978, Madison Square Garden. Wow. 17th row. 17th row. It's a great story. I... I was with my sister Janice and I remember they had a, a rope ladder 
and the guys were climbing up the ladder and they were the stage light guys going on the top trestle and sitting up there. And, but they never rolled up the ladder. And I thought, gosh, I wonder why they're leaving that ladder just hanging there like that. So then the lights go down and it's a hot, sticky, muggy New York summer night. And this scrawny guy comes out with these scrawny legs and black jeans. And he was wearing that jacket at the time, that like suit jacket. And, and that was it. I, I, one minute I'm sitting there with my sister and the next minute. So you're at the garden and the garden of course has the hockey uh, railing, you know, sure. the hockey wall. And then, you know, atop of the hockey wall is the plastic. Right. Right. So at some point, and it was exactly the point where he, he's doing because the night. And now I know why they never rolled up the ladder. The guitar is slung on the back. He's climbed up the ladder. And he is holding on with one hand and he is punching the, the night air, screaming, because the night, and where am I? <laughs> like, like, like one of those gymnasts, I'm on a, a beam. I have somehow gotten on top of the hockey wall. <laughs> I'm holding on to the plastic, which I, you know, later I could see there was, you know, some cuts and some blood, but yeah. I'm holding on there. And I, I, I too am thrusting my fist in the air. And that was it. That was my transcendent moment. That was my spiritual uh, moment of being saved um, by rock and roll. Uh, it was an extraordinary, extraordinary experience. Yeah. Oh, that's, I love that. It's so that great. is such a great story. That is, um, I, I always like to preface this, um, Camille, that the amount of times you've seen Bruce is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are, uh, depending on your age, economic situation, where you live, um, all can adjust that. So, but for the record, do you keep track of how many times you've seen him? I, I don't keep track. I, I have not been one of those people. Okay. Um, you know, when I moved to Alaska, I gave up Madison Square Garden for the Chugash Mountains, right? Yes. I never planned on staying in Alaska. It wasn't my plan, as most, most things aren't. Yeah. So there was a period there where I was going through a dehydration as it relates to rock and roll. I imagine. How long were you in Alaska? I, um, a long time, 30 years wow yeah i grew up i my, spent my adult life there but you know alaska is a very fa fantastic place that's where i was able to um, achieve really great success with my radio work yeah went on to, you know win a marconi award because of my work there was able to be a big fish in a small pond which is such a beautiful thing i you know we need to get back to that we 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 need to come back to local I, I really believe that one of the inside this new design that we're, we're starting to create is the value of local. Every, every town yeah. has its Broadway, every town has its stars and to just feel satisfied and meaningful and important in your own community. Not to say you don't have aspirations because everybody does, but too often you're made to feel that if you don't hit the big time, that what you do where you do it isn't meaningful enough and that's that's not true at all um so 1987 um 
My yeah. wife and I got married in 84. In 86, we moved to Dallas. So 87, 88, um, we happened to be, um, we had gone, um, there's, we started going to these local clubs to see bands, uh, Miss Molly and the Whips, um, you know, Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians, you know, uh, Sarah Hickman, who I've become very close friends with, uh, Brave Combo, you know, all these local bands um, that, and you, you fell in love with these local tech, tech Dallas bands, mm-hmm. you know, and so you're going to see these new clubs and this, this, this area. And then, you know, the beauty of that is, um, you know, after the set, you know, they're on stage and you can go and say, Hey, I love this. Oh, Jesse, it's good to see you again. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, hi, Linda, how are you? Um, you know, and I used to joke that, um, Billy Joel doesn't tell me afterwards, like, hey, thanks for coming out to the show. <laughs> but these local musicians did. Yes. And and yes. you 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 love that. And so I can imagine, you know, there were people that, you know, saw Bruce early like that. And yeah. Southside Johnny and and yes. you know, and and all these other musicians in the Jersey Shore, you know, that it it you got that intimacy with them yes and that's why you know growing up with live bands and bars yes such a special thing um i i, I would love to just tell you a couple of other sure. stories that are please better. please so you know i went to montclair state college okay and um so it was time you know it was it was coming time for me to go to my first semester and whatnot but i hadn't gotten my dorm number yet. I hadn't got any information about where I was, you know, my dorm information. Now, of course, at the time I was listening to NEW 102.7, you know, and just like a couple of days before I leave, I get the letter and uh, my dorm room number is 1027. <laughs> so I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> so when I get there, I put a little dot between the two and the yes. seven. Oh, and that was, that was like the rock lives time of, of NEW. I, I couldn't get into the communications department and the broadcasting department. So instead, I got um, into business, but I joined the concert committee and I joined the radio station. What I did at the concert, at the concert uh, committee was I, I ran a series at the, at the bar called The Rat. And that's what we did. We brought local musicians in so that we can make that connection with what was happening right in our own backyard. And I tell people this all the time on my show, Jess, and it's so true. Now is the time to support local artists. Yes. This is not a time for more Amazon purchases. This is a time to buy somebody's CD, buy somebody's jewelry, buy some. These are the people that enrich our lives in our communities all the time. And they need us right now. Yeah. And I tell my listeners, call up your local venue, find out how can you help them? What's going on? Show an interest in these places that have allowed you to see some, some really you know, great acts. So at the, when I got into the radio station, um, I got to interview Southside Johnny. You know, okay. um, I got to interview some Greg Allman and, and some of these really cool people. But there was a rumor that was starting um, and one of the rumors was that Bruce Springsteen was dating a girl from Montclair State College. Oh. So, of course, at the time, I'm like, well, it can't be true because that would be me. And it's not. <laughs> <me."> yes. 
<laughs> right? So that can't be true. But it, it didn't it didn't stop. And like one time somebody came in, they were like, oh my God, Bruce was at an off uh, campus kegger last night. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Bruce Springsteen was at a Moncler. So we come to find out that he was actually dating one of the young women, because he was a young guy at the time, um, from the concert club that I was a part of. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, man, like what? So lots of fun stories around that. But the most important one is it's a Saturday and I'm coming down the steps into the student center at Montclair State College to do my radio show. And as I'm coming down the steps, there's a vision that's becoming apparent to me like one little piece at the time. So the first thing I see are these boots, these pointed boots. I'm like, all right. The next thing I see are these jeans. I'm like, huh. By the time I got up to the belt buckle and the white t-shirt, my heart was racing because I thought, oh my gosh. Now I'm pretty much at the end of the steps now and I got to make a left to go down the hallway. But clearly now I see right in front of me is this woman, Jenny and Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) (laughs) So I remain extremely cool until I turned the corner and was out of sight. And then I bolted. I bolted down the hallway, turned the corner, like hyperventilating, talking myself down, saying, okay, calm down, calm down. Don't blow this, you know, get it together, girl. So I take a deep breath and I turn around and I start to go back down the hallway. And there's Bruce Springsteen standing outside the concert club office door because Jenny is trying to unlock it with this key. So I walk up to her and I like so cool. Like I don't even look at him probably because I couldn't because yes. like the energy and the light was so powerful. Like I had, yes. to adjust, I had to adjust my vision to it and then make sure the angels started, stopped singing a little bit. So whatever I say to her, I say something to her and she says to me, oh, by the way, this is Bruce. I'm like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> but I play along and I look up and And maybe this was true with your wife or a a child. I don't know. But you ever have a moment where you just try to communicate everything with a gaze? Yes, I know what you're saying. Right. And as I looked at him, I just tried to give a complete imprint to him about how grateful I was and how he had changed my life. So I reached out and I shake his hand. I to this day, I remember his hand was just so like a large, very like large kind of meaty, tough hand. And I ask him, I say, Bruce, um, could you come down to the radio station and give me a few minutes? And he, he said he wasn't able uh, to do that. So he kind of owes me. Okay, there you go, yes. <laughs> I, I'm, gonna write, that's the, I'm gonna write a third letter. I'm gonna yes, say, hey, like, man. hey, remember? Yeah. I am, I'm gonna, that's my when third letter. When you were dating Jenny, you, exactly. I, you said you didn't have a few minutes, yeah. And, you, you kind of owe me. Uh, somebody gave me the address for Thrill Hill Records. And that's that's because, you know, I've, I've contacted Surefire Media and I, I don't quite know how yeah. to uh, how to go about it. But anyway, so that that is a um, just a really um, terrific story. Fast forward to when they had the light of um, not the light of day, the um, red carpet screening for Blinded by the Light. Right. OK, so um, after the screening, you know, we got 
uh, ushered across this little bridge and then into convention hall where Bruce played with Southside and all that great stuff. But they, they, they had some really cool background paper that said blinded by the light. And I say to my sister, um, because Bruce and Patty got ushered into the theater that night and they were like five rows behind us watching the, the movie, you know, it's like, how do you yeah. watch a movie when you got the star right behind you? Exactly. So I say to my sister, Hey, Janice, take a picture of me with this behind me. So I'm leaning against the wall and she takes a picture and all of a sudden, like as if he dropped out of the sky there, I see Bruce out of the corner of my eye and he's, he's, I see him out of the corner of my eye and, and you know, I got to tell you, man, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> like after a while, you, you got the practice down, you know how to do these moments yes. and, and you cannot, you cannot miss a beat. You got to go. There's no hesitation. So he starts to come into my vision and I go, Bruce, and he reaches out and he, he shakes my hand and I follow him. <laughs> I abandon my sister in our photo shoot and I am right behind him. Hey, Bruce, I would love to interview you, you know, just whatever I was saying. And then the next thing I know, um, I kind of bump into Patty. Yes. And, um, you know, I have a moment with her. Oh my gosh, it's so wonderful to see you all. And um, shortly after that, Bruce has gone up the steps to this makeshift little, you know, VIP section that they created and she's waving. Now I I'm standing there and she's waving. And I think, (laughs) I think that she's waving me on to go up to the VIP. (laughs) What else could it be? Thank you so much for saying sure. Because it's like, Oh, finally it's here. So I start to walk only to realize that right behind me are like our, our kids. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Here you go. Yeah, go, please. Go see your parents. Yeah. yeah. You know, oh, that's fun. That's so funny. Those are some good, good memories. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have to ask, have you thought about what you want to ask him? Oh, yeah. I've got, I've got the the notebook with the questions yeah that's it yeah yeah I, you know it because yeah i do the other interview he gave did you hear did you listen to the conan o'brien interview yes oh oh what he says in the beginning and the end of that yeah again very very rich very yeah. deep um Yes, yeah, some of these last interviews have, have finally been very good. Uh, finally, some of these journalists have really drilled down and gotten and allowed themselves to follow the conversation. Um, yeah, I think so. And I do think he, I, I think writing the autobiography, mm-hmm. doing Western Stars, I think he is a little more comfortable talking about himself. I think in the past he didn't like talking about himself is my, you know, from a distance thought. And I think he's a little more comfortable now. I, I think it's uh, amazing. The whoever was the guy who they did an hour for, like Apple, Apple was just yeah. yeah. That was amazing interview and talking about you know uh, the different guitars and like oh this was the guitar I did in Nebraska on. Oh okay, that's pretty and cool. That, I think his name was Zane. Yes. Um, and right off the bat, what does he do? He establishes himself as a fan. Yes. You know, and he just comes from that conversational place like we're doing right now. And that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that just made Bruce very comfortable. And um, but even that answer to that question about the guitars was yeah, just this idea that 
again, it's very, Bruce is a very mystical, spiritual guy. I remember when I left um, 2012, I turned 50 and the, the magic was there that night. This is when we had to like cattle get lined up in the, like in the, for the pit mm-hmm. and we drew numbers and then they drew them a third time or however many times. Yeah. Well, I got, I was number seven in the pit. So okay. for my 50th birthday in New Jersey, I was up against, up against the, uh, the stage, but he's, he's, I'm not sure why I said that, but in any event, my point is, is just that he's a very mystical guy. And when he talked about how the instruments give birth to an album or give birth to a song, and then their job is done. That's mm-hmm. why I have so many guitars because they serve me and then their, their, their role is complete. I just, that was just so insightful. And so beautiful. Absolutely. And the story about that Italian guy who gave him the guitar. I mean, come on. Which, and to hear him say, well, I wasn't sure if I could write for the E Street Band anymore. And to have the inspiration losing his last Mm -hmm. friend from that first band Mm. and uh, to have that is, is interesting and very, very insightful. I do got to ask, what brought you home from Alaska? Well, you know, I turned 50 and those six shows happened, two in Philly, two in Jersey, two at the Garden. But something happened in me when I turned 50 and I just wanted to come back to New Jersey and connect with my mom and my sister. My dad had already uh, passed and so I drove from Alaska. Well, actually, I shipped the car to Seattle and then drove across the country and then I just started going back and forth. And a couple of years ago, you know, my mom stopped driving and I unknowingly slipped into the role of, you know, caregiver. Sure. And um, actually wrote a book about that called The Confusion Experiment, which came out a couple of years ago. And here I am. I've been here in the house since she passed because I was caring uh, for her and hanging out with her and but change is coming. And so these last two years I've been here. Prior to that, I was going back and forth um, to Alaska and maintaining my network there because I do some other workshops and speaking and things like that. But I'm not quite finished with New Jersey. You know, I, I, I will tell you something that's close to my heart and tell me what your thoughts are about this. COVID has opened a door for people like me. And here's what I mean by that. Danny Clinch does these awesome musical events in his studio yeah. and I went down there by the way you got to come to Jersey just to see the photo from that letter to you album you okay. can't believe it you can't believe it he has it really really big it is more than you can even believe the the energy coming off this photo is incredible but you know so he does these little events with with musicians and whatnot and I thought you know I would love to do my MC work here. Sure. So my point is, is like COVID has slowed things down to the degree where somebody like myself could actually have a chance to talk to Danny and say, hey, I do MC work. I do auctioneer work. Let me help you. It would just be such a joy to come home in that way. Do you know what I mean? It's like- I do. Where are you originally from? Where's your hometown? So I was born in a small town called Leesville, Louisiana. Okay. My dad was in the army, so we moved around a lot. I went to 12 different schools between kindergarten and eighth grade. 
Um, after he retired, uh, my mom was always a mama's girl. Uh, we moved back to Lake Charles, Louisiana, mm. um, as in up on Cripple Creek and Lucinda wow. Williams, Lake Charles. Uh, and um, I stayed there until 86 when we moved to Dallas. So Louisiana is home. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I like I, I you know, I just that just came through me because I just think about people and it's like the, the, the I guess what I'm trying to say is the playing field has been leveled. Right. And for that reason alone, it is a unique opportunity. And again, I'm very sensitive to the lack of women. I really am like, you know, the light of day event, a phenomenal event. But there are no female, de- no female MCs. There's there's mm-hmm. no I don't see women getting on stage and introducing the bands and whatnot, you know, yeah. and maybe because they don't know of any or there aren't there aren't any. But it's just a time for those scales to be a little bit more balanced between it, it being so dominated by guys and uh, and letting some of the, um, the ladies in. I absolutely agree with that. And I understand, um, you know, I've been lucky um, about half my guests are uh female fans the other half are male obviously um so um you know and so there's a diversity of the fandom that i get to visit with and share i want to talk a little bit more about your podcast slash radio show Mm -hmm. i assume this started when you're in alaska yep 1987 i um started in in anchorage so talk to me a little bit about what you were thinking and how it's grown so much. I have to be honest and tell you, Jess, that I always knew this would be what I would do with my, I mean, I just, okay. I set out to uh, be abroad. I really kind of set out to be an entertainer. I'm cognizant of that word as I use it right now, but yeah. my dad was an entertainer and an entertainer yeah. is somebody who is for the people right? and is there to give joy and that's why Bruce is an entertainer and it's just because I met somebody that I ended up in in Anchorage I was going to San Francisco to do it to start my radio work but I ended up up there so it's just it's been the work I do it's 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 my career and so the Camille Conti show now is just me just completely doing what I love which is to talk about what's important to talk about music to talk about the artists, like right now, I'm, I'm focused on 1971 because some of the greatest albums, I mean, 1971 was a golden era for music, you know, and that's why I've always been a fan of really kind of like that hard drive and drum bass line because mm-hmm. so much of that sound came out of the 70s. So we're, we're exploring some of the albums of 1971, starting with January. We just talked about Janis Joplin's Pearl and, um, and, and whatnot. So but I would like to, now that things are shifting with my mom um, and I'm on to, I guess, my next chapter, I would like to get back to interviewing mm-hmm. because I used to do that on my show. And um, I know you saw that Larry King. Yeah. 50,000 interviews. That's amazing. 50,000 interviews. Yeah. 50,000 conversations, you know. Yeah. Having this time with you is so sweet and so meaningful to me because First of all, I've been alone here in this house for a long time. And like many people, it can be, um, can play a number on your heart and your head. Absolutely. But I just love talking about music and I love the creative process like you do. And, you know, like when Bruce talked about, like you were saying, he wasn't sure if he was going to, he wasn't even sure if there was anything left that was coming. if If the muse had been silenced or not, you know, and just the way he's talked about how it all arrived, like when he picked up the guitar, all those songs just literally tumbled out, you know, of him. 
how do you put a show together, Camille? Well, I have a little notebook. So if things are hitting me during the week, I take a note. Okay. Um, or if I hear a song on, on the radio and I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't heard that song in forever. I'll make a note. Like I just played Edwin Collins, Never Met a Girl Like You Before, mm-hmm. which is a fabulous tune from the early 2000s. And, and then I know I'm going to do the new music spotlight. So I have a particular site that I go to and I'm listening to the songs there and uh, picking out the ones I'm going to play. There's some fantastic new artists out right now. I'm always searching music news. So I have a little, you know, I have a notebook where every show is, is in a notebook paper and I keep track of music news. And I guess I've been doing it so long that I eventually kind of have all my ingredients and then I get behind the mic and it just unfolds very organically. Like last week, I have to say it was very difficult because it was the day after my mom's one year marking. Yes. And it took a long time for me to get to an emotional neutrality so I could do the show. But I talked about it, actually, because I, that's the, just a beautiful relationship I have, I have with my listeners. So, yeah, so that's how I do it. I work with, um, you know, Adobe Audition in my computer and I mix down all my own work. I listen back to every show I've ever done. It's just something I love. It happens very naturally. It sounds just so beautiful. And you, and you have a relationship with your listeners and mm-hmm. you're sharing. And, and I like the idea that you are, you're kind of rotating. Here's new music to hear. Here's a song we haven't heard from in a while. Here is, you know, the stories behind that. Um, do you get a lot of feedback? Yeah, I really do. Um, I'm inside my fundraiser right now and I've asked people to leave comments as to what it is that they love about the show and why they'd be moved to support me. And people still, you know, especially people in their forties and older, you know, there's an appreciation for the role of a jock. Absolutely. Like the jock. And that's why when Bruce did that, I wanted to call him up and say, Hey, you're doing my gig now. Yes, exactly. I do what he does. That's the art of radio. And what Mm -hmm. it is, is, intentional placement yes you use the music just like a stage performance right you use the music to bring um an exclamation point or you know to support what you're talking about um and so my listeners love that i'm passionate about music they love that i know what i know about music they love the history um and i just think they love hearing someone be passionate about the music that's meaningful to them uh, you know, and I'm funny. Yeah. So, um, so there's that too. <laughs> where can people go if they want to support the work? They can find me at CamilleConti.com. Okay. And the show, the Camille Conti show is hosted through Podbean.com. Okay. But all those links are from my own website. I'm on Stitcher and iHeartRadio and um, all those great um those great platforms though i have to say my 21 2021 focus is i'd, I'd like to i want to get on sirius xm yeah I, I would like to do um a, an interview show on on sirius um xm and um get into that but yeah camilleconti.com um or any of those platforms the show comes up every friday okay i i just crossed over 640 episodes myself Congratulations. That's a lot of music. Yep, it is. Um, And yeah. I I absolutely think this would be a great thing for Sirius. I've um, I've often wondered and and wished that, 
you know, I would love to do this for serious. I think it would mm-hmm. fit with E Street Radio perfectly, right? Just just talking yeah. to Bruce fans. So absolutely, that's amazing. Well, and the other thing I want to do, and I'm going to do this, I, I am going to do this. I want to interview these jocks. Yes. I want to interview Meg Griffin, who I heard is on satellite Sirius. Yes. I would like to interview Dennis Elsis. You know, these these are historians. Yes. I mean, my God, Dennis Elsis had to, how long of a conversation with John Lennon? Yeah. You know, I, I've interviewed Bob Gruen, John's photographer. I interviewed Frank Stefanko. Great, great interview from Frank. You know, actually, one of the best parts of that interview with Frank Stefanko is when he talks about when Patty Smith walked through the cafeteria doors at the college that he was at um, and how he and Patty and Bruce like had that, had that meeting. Um, But yeah, these, these are, these are times when uh, the music is, is infinite, but the artists are finite. Absolutely. um, You know, it's, it's just important to, extract from them that's what i want to do i want to extract from people like you're doing tonight mm-hmm. um, their story yeah you know and when bruce gets really comfortable like he does like he has in some of these interviews he'll really start to let it let down the guard and really get into some some things like when he was talking about being proud about overcoming his, his not overcoming i mean managing his mental health illness um, talking about that in that book was incredible when he talked about when he couldn't stop crying and um, he would lose his keys, he would start crying. I was so, I mean, my God, he pulled back the curtain so significantly in that book. It was tremendous. It really was incredibly insightful. And to hear him talking about his demons and in Western Stars, where he talks about there were times that if you, if, if you loved him, he would push you away before, you know, it, you could leave him. And that honesty was very, very um, insightful. And I think, I think really strong, courageous, mm-hmm. because I think all of us have fought our own demons. Yes. And to hear Bruce effing Frings, Springsteen, yes. you know, have that problem yes. uh, is pretty, uh, I think, insightful. It was just, I would, I would love to get the transcript of those moments from western stars yes because the things he says as you're pointing out in there are incredible i just watched letter to, to you again yes. the other night because i needed the medicine and yes well is said that, is that not just the greatest gift it is I, I Tom Zimney is another guy. He's on my list to interview. My first question to Tom is going to be, talk to me about the editing. Yes. Like, how long does that that take? Like, are you seeing the edits as you're collecting the, the, the footage? I mean, and for him to have known that the only film he should have done for um, one minute you're here, next minute you're gone. For, like that's the genius of Tom Zimney. He knew yeah. the only thing to do was to point the camera at that face and capture that song, which is so. Yeah. If you if you watch that, the nuances and, and Bruce's lips at times, he gives away a whole story with the crook of his mouth at one of the more poignant parts. Yeah. It, it's just a remarkably well done, and for us as fans, like what a gift! Like especially now that we haven't been on the road with him. To, to be in the creative yeah. process with the band was so fabulous. 
there's a point where little Steven is talking about what he thinks you should do. And all of a sudden, from my perspective, you go, this is why he was able to play Silvio on the Sopranos. I mean, you could see him giving that advice and it could just as easily been pulled with him talking to Tony Soprano. You know, it oh, just, yeah. it is, you know, we're, yes. and, and Maureen said that when I talked to her about that, she said, absolutely. That the reason Steven knew he could do that role is he feel like he, he feels he knew he'd been doing that with Bruce for all these years. So it was a role he was comfortable talking about and taking on. Yeah. Such, such a gift. And in that scene that you're speaking about, because those two are so simpatico and Bruce has such respect for Stevie, he, he takes on what Stevie says, you know, Stevie's doing this whole thing with his hands and, and whatever Stevie heard in his head, you know, you know, and that's why it, it, the creative process is just um, just such a tremendous, tremendous thing. There's one last thing I want to make sure I say to you. Sure, please. You you were so gracious with your little prep notes that um, one of the things you talked about was if I have a wish list. Yes, that was, I was just about to ask the question. Okay. So you're perfect. My, and tell me if this is not what you want to. Okay. A covers only tour. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> even if it's a mini tour or even if it's just a handful of shows, come on. Like Bruce doing covers. Like you look back in that when he was in Australia and he did Highway to Hell. Yeah. Oh, he does the Bee Gees. Like, like I saw Max at, at the Stone Pony when he did mm-hmm. his thing last time there with yeah. the covers. It was a fabulous treat. I just think the band doing some covers, a covers show would be um, fantastic. Um, the, the one of the songs I would love to see him do is Ain't Good Enough For You, which is yes. just, it's the ultimate Jersey bar rock song. I love that song. Oh. I was so disappointed. That is on my list as well. I Great. love that song. Well, I hope we're, we're- I did not fresh. know who Jimmy Iovine was till I, you know, when I heard that song originally. Uh, I, I love that song. And, um, you know, funny. I wish they would release all- the carousel show you know like just just the raw footage of that mm-hmm. like when they did that because i know that's one of the versions they did a couple of versions i would love to see the raw footage of that yeah now let me ask you this question what sure. are your thoughts about um working on a dream so i know a lot album. of people don't like that album and um you know and i like the song working on a dream um, it, you know, I like surprise, surprise. It's not one of my favorite albums, but then, you know, I, I'm the guy that's been on, you know, in this, you may not want to talk to me anymore. Um, I have a, I have 11 questions that I stole from my, the sports station I listened to. They do, they used to do bands of, they did, um, biggest show coming to town every week. And they okay. would talk about the bands coming into town. And they would um, now then once COVID stopped, you know, there wasn't that segment Mm -hmm. wasn't available. So they started doing bands of your life. And so it's 11 questions, uh, band you can't, band you hate, band you don't understand, you think's overrated, you know, band that made you fall in love with music, great band to see live, you know. So I created 11 11 questions 
the Bruce song that you can't stand, the Bruce song you think is overrated, the Bruce song that made you fall in love with Bruce, the great song to hear live. And the song's overrated, and everyone just me is, I don't get Jungle Land. I, I mean, I understand that it's epic, but it isn't a song that speaks to my soul the way that Land of Hope and Dreams does, mm-hmm. or Better Days, or, um, you know, Independence Day, you know, and so. Listen, I'm going to, I'm going to confess to you too, since yeah. nobody's listening right now. You yeah. know how, you know how, you know what song I feel the same way about? What? Lost in the Flood. <laughs> yeah. People go crazy over that song. And I just am like, I don't get it. I still don't get it. I mean, I would never say this, but you just confessed, so I'm going to confess. Yeah, like I said, I realize I'm the minority. Jungle Land is, people rate this one of his greatest songs, and I'm like, I'm not saying it's not great. That saxophone solo is amazing, but it's just not a song that speaks Mm -hmm. to me emotionally. You're allowed to have that, Jess. Exactly, yes. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm still going to finish this interview. Well, thank you, thank you. That's good. Um, I, I just think that, like, working on a dream, and magic if you go back now and listen to um tomorrow never knows or, right. and some of those songs on those his vocal quality is exactly what he is doing in i wouldn't say exactly but it is a match to western stars yeah. and what he has done on letter to you yeah. the rich maturity of his voice on those two albums was completely overlooked. I think yes. even one of the, was it the Magic album that he went out on tour under the name of the album and yeah. they never played anything from it. And yeah, I just thought it was, I thought, I, and that's a question on my list that I'm going to ask him. Yeah. Because they they named the tour after the album, but they didn't do the song. Yeah. Like very I, quickly, I'm working on the dream. Like Magic, they did Girls in Their Summer Clothes, Magic, Gypsy Biker. But working on the dream, they very quickly didn't. They yeah. And that was when he was doing the album shows. Like he would do a full album. Yes. Yeah. But it was just incredible. But if you go back and you listen to his voice then, yeah. that rich maturity, like on the letter to you, his uh, that's another question I wanted. Nobody seems to, not enough people talk to him about his voice as an instrument. Yes. And when, did you see him and Patty do the duet for um, the heroes? Yes. And they sang, I'll see you in my dreams. Yeah. <gasps> that, yeah. That is one of, like, Patty and Bruce, after all these years, they have finally truly yeah. locked in. I, I agree. Some, They've had some missteps along the way, maybe because, you know, Patty was, you know, just pushing too, too hard sometimes, maybe to match that male rock stuff. Yeah. But right now, the two of them, their voices are so gorgeous together. But his voice on Letter to You, one minute you're here, you can hear that country twang. It's yes. all in that album. And when he sings, I'll see you in my dreams, and that falsetto goes up it's it's achingly beautiful i i totally agree i mean his voice right now though darkness holds that rough raw unfiltered rock yeah his his voice is so seasoned and he and he it's an instrument that he knows how to play Mm -hmm. he knows what to get from it when he wants like in uh, western stars when he sings um uh there goes my miracle yeah and he just he, he climbs, he climbs, and then it's just this explosive 
emotional release in in his voice. It's um, well, you, you know, he did that AMC interview where he talked about the Searchers, and um, I can't remember the other film, but and he said in the interview that he doesn't think he's a very good vocalist, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why he did. Well, I disagree. Like, um, I know he would never do this, but give me. Um, Bruce Springsteen sings the songs of Johnny Cash, right? <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen sings country classics. Exactly. Bruce Springsteen does a gospel album. You know, I mean, he's never going to do that. But uh, I have done a little bit of what you've said. I've, you know, you you can buy the archives, and then you can build a playlist of nothing but covers of all the fun covers he's mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah. it would be. Um, it is amazing when they play Stump the Band. And when um, I was lucky enough to be at the show in Dallas where it was the NCAA tournament here in Dallas and he they came out and played Jump. And, you know, oh, everyone wow. was just going crazy. And in fact, I tweeted, okay, who had Jump on the lineup card? And <laughs> someone said, Bruce, destroying brackets everywhere, you know? <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, exactly yeah well, he, even to a friend of mine and he was like i can't even believe you could say that is um i think i think letter to you is is the best the one of the best albums the band has ever done i, I think i think it, it is it, and i think to say this far into his career exactly you can say that and not have people laugh is true it's in the discussion it is amazing and that is as much of on him as them, because there is a time in that movie where he says, I, I am, these are mine. The vision yes. of these are mine. Right. However, they only become real because of my band. Well, and- it's supposedly right. He, uh, I think it was Roy. It may have been someone else, but one of the band members said, Bruce, let's not play beat the demo. You know, you always do a demo and then we come in here and then we've got to beat that demo. Uh, you just come in here and that's why he, you know, he's playing it on his guitar and they're all sitting there with their yellow pads writing. And like out of that, they're like, you know, like how does Max know that, you know, on uh, if I was a priest that, okay, during the break off that, you know, that drums, you know, snare really quick. And it just, um, I know. yeah. I mean, that song is I did a whole thing on my show about if I were a priest and orphans because, you know, Bruce talked about in one of these interviews um, and you'll just have to cut me off when you have to end. No, 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 we're good. I'm loving, this is so great. But Bruce just talked about um, that songwriting. And he he said to somebody that, uh, you know, they came to him and they said, you know, Bob Dylan said, you better be careful or you're going to run out of words. Yes. he got so freaked out by that, that he admits that he abandoned that songwriting style that yes. was really authentically his. Right. He wasn't copying Bob. It yes. was just a confirmation that prose was a legitimate songwriting way. Yes. Um, and he says in that interview recently that he, he, he wished he hadn't left it. Right. Um, because it was so true for him. And, and he says, because I'll never be able to do that again like yeah. I did. Man alive, those oh. those songs are um, 
And that's what's so beautiful watching that documentary is to see the magic that comes when people know each other for 50 years. Yes, there is a there is a comfort and a a familiarity that they are there and sharing with each other. That's just beautiful to watch. It's so beautiful to watch. And you're right. Like, how does Max know? Again, it's that one plus one equals three. There's this mystical container that gets created when they all come together. Hmm. And um, yeah, it's a really, and and let me, I'll share one last thing with you, please, which I often say, and then I talk another half hour. (laughs) Did you know that, Danny Clinch and Tom Zimney did not know that they were both using snow as a background. No, that's interesting. When Danny Clinch shot that picture of Bruce um, in the snow, it wasn't known yet that it was going to be the cover. And when Tom Zimney recorded that, there was snow. And... I thought, wow, that's another mystical, magical thing that Bruce, you know, and that's what he says about one plus one equals three. He says, you know, you can't force magic. I actually wrote this down because he said this recently. He goes, you can't force it. He goes, but what you can do is you can create the atmosphere that has the potential of it happening. Yes. You can you can you can make choices and you can create the atmosphere that has the highest possibility of magic happening. And wow, the fact that those two guys had snow as part of their backdrop and neither of them knew it until they did is absolutely just lovely. That's that sounds awesome. It's I appreciate so, that. It's so it's so incredibly um, wonderful. Yeah. All right. So, Camille, what should I've asked you that I didn't? <laughs> oh well, let's see. Um, Bruce in college. Well, um, I think I think we kind of covered it. Okay. 2016, 2012, this, the six shows um, that he did the DJ, didn't play in the barn, I think. I think, oh, you know, I hope that Bruce tells us when they come out on tour, I hope Bruce says like no signs because (laughs) it's going to just be a sea of signs if he doesn't tell us. Because, you know, it's going to be so long since we have seen them. We're going to want to. Well, and that's like uh, when um, I've been telling people when you do your wish list and you can leave off anything from Western stars or letter to you, because all of us want to see those live, yeah. right? Because none of us have seen them live. Yeah. I letter Western stars. I, my friend fell madly deeply in love with that album. It, I couldn't listen to it. It just wasn't your it cup was, of tea. It was too sad. Okay. It was, I couldn't, I was dealing with some personal, I, it took I me understand. like four months to like, I loved Hello Sunshine. I loved um, There Goes uh, My Miracle, but those mm-hmm. other songs are aching. Um, now, of course, I can listen to it. I yeah. love Wayfarer and Tucson Train and, yeah. you know, they're all great. But there was there was a blanket of uh, melancholy in that album that I, I couldn't c- quite. I could see you know that. You know what I mean? You know? I do. I totally understand. Um so 
anyway, this has been so wonderful, Jess. Well, thank you so much. Camille, you are very welcome. I thank you. This has been a joy. We will have to do this again. Um, just any excuse you want, you just come join me. But before I let you go, I got to ask you the Mary question. Oh, okay. What is that? So the Mary question is this. Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher. Uh, he just recently retired, but um, every year in the school year, his seniors, he spent two days breaking apart Thunder Road. They look at all the lyrics. They look at the imagery. They look at the um, the themes that Bruce discusses. Um, he compares it to The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Wow. And at the end of that two days, he looks at his class and says, does Mary get in the car? So... Camille, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? You better believe it. <laughs> oh, she's not stupid. <laughs> Very nice. You better believe it. You got a guy saying it's a town full of losers, baby. We're pulling out of here to win. You're lucky if she said goodbye to her family. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Very nice. Very good. All right. Remind everyone where they can reach you and how they can hear the show. Well, I'm going to be talking about you on next week's show. So I'll make sure I'll send you the link to that. Please the do. Conti show. You can just find out all about me at CamilleConti.com. And I look forward to having uh, you uh, in, in, the, in the question seat as well, that this has just been a lovely exchange. Thank you. Oh, so much. this has just been a joy, Camille. I'm once again, thank you, Donna. We just love yeah. you both. We just, you, we both love you and we appreciate you. And uh, you are welcome anytime. Anytime you're like, hey, Jesse, just send me, hey, Jesse, I have, I, I, I need your, I need to borrow the mic. I need to share. Yeah. Well, um, I'll definitely let you know when he, when I get the interview. So. Yes, that's great. Okay. All right. Listeners, you please be safe. Remember to social distance, wash your hands, wear an effing mask. Let's all be good to each other because that's the only way we're going to get through this. Thank kind you for the support. Thank you for everything. Camille, I just Jessica, love you. You've been I love great. You too. I'm looking forward to staying in touch and thanks for giving us fans a, a wonderful opportunity. You know, people don't realize how much work it takes once we say goodbye to each other to get an episode on the air. So um, I honor you and um, I'm going to send you a mug, one of my thank you gifts for my um patrons i've got an extra mug so i'll get your address and i'll i'll send you one from the show that sounds great all right listeners be good we will talk to you soon goodbye bye this podcast would not be possible without the love and support of my listeners and specifically my patrons thank you very much to levi petrie elizabeth bronson Stephen malio holly mack steve rogers del hosick Terry Smith, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, and Mary Thomas. Thank you all for your support. It is greatly appreciated. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only. That listening Bruce. Set listening Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme 
for Set Lessig Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.